all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics, and you're listening to another live broadcast of Southern Remedy through the miracle of protons, neutrons, and other trons uh, from our broadcast studio in Jackson. We want you to give us a call. It's an open mic today. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 7464 And we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. And we have a little bit to say about Alzheimer's because this is a special day for Alzheimer's patients and associations. We'll be right back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. After a night of unrest that led to police and civilian injuries in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Justice Department is assessing yesterday's confrontation between officers and a 43-year-old black man who was shot and killed. Police maintain Keith Lamont Scott had ignored repeated orders to drop his handgun. Michael Tomzik of member station WFAE says investigators are now examining video recordings of the encounter. The officer who shot Keith Lamont Scott, who was also African-American, the officer and Mr. Scott, the officer was not wearing a body camera, but some of the other officers there were wearing body cameras. In addition, there is um, dash cam video. So there is some video evidence. Charlotte Police Chief Kerr Putney says he has seen some, but not all of it. Um, But as of now, he said that because of state law, since that's part of an investigation, uh, they cannot release it at this moment as they're still going through the investigation and reviewing those tapes. Michael Tomzik reporting, the Department of Justice is looking into the Charlotte case. It has already opened a civil rights investigation into last Friday's police shooting in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where a black man was also killed. Video footage appeared to show Terrence Crutcher with his hands up before he was shot. The head of the company that makes the anti-allergy drug EpiPen is testifying on Capitol Hill. NPR's Allison Kojak reports the CEO will have a tough time convincing lawmakers on the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee that the price hike of the EpiPen is justified. The EpiPen's price has increased more than 500 percent since Mylan bought the rights to market it in 2007. The device is basically an automatic syringe that delivers a dose of epinephrine to slow or stop an allergic reaction. Mylan CEO Heather Brush will face tough questions on how she can justify the $600 price tag for a drug that's been available for decades. The leaders of the House Oversight Committee have asked the company for documents detailing the cost to make the injectors and exactly how many the company sells each year. Earlier this month, Mylan said it will sell a generic version of the EpiPen for half the price after consumers and lawmakers complained about the increases. Allison Kojak, NPR News, Washington. The Turkish government is asking Parliament to extend its mandate authorizing military operations in Syria and Iraq. NPR's Peter Kenyon reports it's seen as a sign Turkey envisions no quick end to cross-border operations. The government's motion would extend by another year the legislative backing for Turkey's military moves in Syria and Iraq. 
On one level, it's simply legal authorization for Turkey's continued participation in the U.S.-led anti-Islamic state coalition. But analysts say it's also a signal that Turkey envisions ongoing military operations in the two countries, including a so far limited military presence in northern Syria. With the collapse of the latest ceasefire effort, Turkey has stepped up its call for a safe zone in northern Syria, a move the Pentagon has resisted as costly and difficult to maintain. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Istanbul. This is NPR News. Ahmad Khan Rahami now faces federal charges in the weekend attacks in New York and New Jersey. The Department of Justice filed multiple charges last night against Rahami for conducting and attempting to conduct bombings in Manhattan, Seaside Park, and other locations. In the attack in Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood, Lynch, or Attorney General Loretta Lynch, now says more than 30 people were wounded and countless others were gravely endangered. South African police have fired stun grenades and rubber bullets to disperse protesting students outside a leading university in Johannesburg. Demonstrators and an officer reportedly injured. NPR's Afabia Quistarkton reports some top universities in South Africa have suspended lectures and closed temporarily amid violent protests by students demanding free education. Johannesburg's University of the Witwatersrand is at the heart of the Fees Must Fall campaign by students seeking what they call free, quality and decolonized education. The government says South Africa cannot afford this demand and that universities can increase tuition fees by up to 8% next year. What began as peaceful demonstrations have degenerated into sometimes violent confrontations this week between students and the police at Fritz University. Students marched outside the campus on the streets of downtown Johannesburg and police reported fired stun grenades as the protesters returned to the university grounds. Critics say the students are out of control, vandalizing property and behaving like criminals. Ophelia Quistarkton, NPR News, Johannesburg. U.S. stocks trading higher. The Dow's up 55 points at 18,185. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News, Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include TIAA, Whether it's investing, advice, banking, or retirement, TIAA is dedicated to helping those who teach, heal, and serve others achieve a lifetime of financial well-being. Learn more at TIAA.org. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, this is Dr. Rick DeShazo. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. It's just me here and lonely. So feel free to give me a call at 1-877-672-7464 or 1-877-MPB-RING. I was just sitting here looking at the list of flu vaccines that are available, and it's mind-blowing. There's one, two, three, four, five, six different types. This year, they're recommending that flu mist, the one you spray in your nose, not be used because some studies came out showing it wasn't near as good as the other ones, which weren't that good either last year but uh, there are two out there there's a uh, three uh, three containing that what they call trivalent and a 
a quadrivalent, which is four, and the quadrivalent has all of the stuff in it that the trivalent has, plus an additional uh, kill flu virus, um, um, and it uh, it is uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, it has a live attenuated influa, influenza uh, in it as well, so it it's not all totally dead like the quadrivalent is. Uh, live attenuated means that they have uh, grown it and it is doesn't cause any symptoms, but it does cause antibody responses. So I'm going to get the quadrivalent because um, I don't have any immune deficiency that I know of. And uh, people who have immune deficiencies are probably going to get the trivalent. And people who are older uh, may want to get the double-dose trivalent. So that's what's out there. If you want to know more, give me a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring We're going to go to uh, Jackson and Mr. Courtney in just a second to talk about Alzheimer's. But let's get the first caller underway who's been waiting a long time, Cleon. Hey, Cleon, what's going on? Um, I'd like to know when you're told that you have low kidney function, what else do you need to know and what questions do you add, have uh, to ask? Oh, and one other thing, is taking a couple of leaves maybe two to three times a week uh, any harm to the kidneys? A couple of who? A leave. A leave, yeah. Good good questions. All right, so low kidney uh, function is a serious issue. Uh, we follow a blood test called the creatinine <clears throat> to see how your kidneys are working. And there are normals for that. And if the creatinine starts going up, then we are concerned about how your kidneys are working. The most common cause of abnormal creatinines and abnormal kidney function in our state is high blood pressure uh, with uh, diabetes, with or without diabetes. You can have kidney failure from either uncontrolled high blood pressure or diabetes or combination, and they frequently go together. Um, There are people who have gout, uh, which give them kidney stones, and there are people who have autoimmune diseases that can cause kidney problems. In older folks, older men in particular, the biggest cause is prostate, large prostate blocking the flow of urine, and that causes kidney problems. So what usually happens is some blood work is obtained, looking at your uric acid level, your blood pressure, your blood sugar is checked, your uh, thyroid functions and so forth, and an ultrasound of your kidneys is done to make sure that's a that's basically a picture of your kidneys using uh, uh, radar. And the ultrasound looks at the size of your kidneys and makes sure that there's no blockage uh, to flow. That's the starting place. And after that, if your creatinine is large, uh, is going up, uh, your doctor should refer you to a nephrologist. That's a kidney specialist who will then take it from there because a certain percentage of people will need a needle biopsy of their kidneys to figure out what's going on, and those are done by the nephrologist, N-E-P-H-R-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. If you have preexisting kidney disease or if you take large quantities of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents like naproxen, Aleve, any of those, you can knock your kidneys off, especially if you're dehydrated. We see every year people who go out 
and get dehydrated and take non-steroidals like naproxen or ibuprofen because they hurt all over after working outside and come in with their kidneys totally shut down. So you are absolutely right, Cleon, and I'm glad you called, and I appreciate it because this is – we still – although it's supposed to be fall, it's still summer – and where people are still getting dehydrated. So there are a lot of different causes of this. It's a serious problem. It needs to be evaluated by experts early, and in many cases, the progression of the disease can be stopped. So thanks for your call. The Aleve, uh, I said, it's a non-steroidal, uh, and, and it's uh, a bad thing to take if you've got kidney problems. So there you go. Hey, we've got a special guest this morning, and you're it. So give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's anything you want to talk about. Please call because you don't want to hear me talk by myself to myself. I may be committed later in the show to a mental institution. So give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And another special guest is Attorney Richard Courtney. Hey, Mr. Courtney. Good morning, Dr. DeShazo. This is a special day uh, for a lot of folks. This is the um, the uh, Alzheimer and Related Dementias Day. Uh, and uh, also, it, it's a day for you attorneys who, um, who help people with their legal affairs. So let me ask you a couple of questions. I know that you're the expert in all things senior the law, uh, and your offices are here in Jackson. Um, since uh, a significant number, perhaps close to 50% of people over 80, will have a memory disorder, and there are more and more of us living to be uh, 80 or older, <clears throat> what kinds of um, preparation do we need uh, to take care of the legal aspects uh, of aging and eventually dying with dementia. Now, let me tell you the reason that I'm asking this question. A, this all this stuff triggered my thought processes coming up with this balloon release that's going to be October the 20th, 2016. Uh, oh, no, this course, free course for the community at the Mind Center at UMC between f- 5.30 and 7.00. Uh, on October the 20th, it's going to be treatments for the mind, medication and behavioral interventions for patients uh, with Alzheimer's and related dementia. And then they're having a balloon release this afternoon of purple balloons in honor of people with this problem. My mother, um, who's a very bright woman, uh, uh, I was so smart that uh, I, as a physician, had no idea uh, how bad her dementia was until um, we took a look at her bank account and saw that she was writing checks to some fellow who was calling her, uh, who uh, was asking for money for all kinds of different things, including investments and games and all this stuff. And when we, when we talked to her about this, we realized quickly that she needed some evaluation and then got an evaluation and found out that she was really, really unable to handle her own affairs. And you're one of the people I consulted. So when somebody like like me comes into your office, what kinds of legal 
documents, help, and advice do they need? Right, first of all, I want to say uh, commend the Mind Center because they have cared for my father-in-law who has advanced Alzheimer's for the last five years under Dr. Wyndham. Yeah. Wonderful program there and wonderful care that he's gotten. Well, it touches so many of us. If we live long enough, we're probably all going to have it. Yes, that's what I hear. Yeah. So I'm going to try to eat healthy and dry, live safe life. You know? Yeah. But, but so far as what happens as we age and those incapacities that can cause the chaos and confusion that families have seen, I often tell people, every one of us, not just someone with a growing incapacity, but each one of us needs to know that at all times someone has uh, access and control for me. That is access to information. Who can talk to my doctors and medical providers about my care needs? Who can talk to my bank or insurance company about my finances? So right now, that's me. I have the access to that information. They will talk with me. Mm -hmm. And then control over the resources necessary to make things happen. Who can write a check to pay my bills or or make a decision about my health care? Right now, that's when we have capacity, that's the legal term for that cognitive ability to understand what I need to understand. It is me, but I may, because of some of those chronic conditions of aging, including dementia, I may lose that capacity. Or if you're in a coma. Or in an automobile accident, traumatic head injury. There are many different reasons someone... So how do you go about designating someone to your spokesperson in a situation like that? Someone needs to be behind me to have access and control for those to make my life work, Mm -hmm. do those things for me. So I can do that voluntarily by signing a health care power of attorney called an advanced health care directive in Mississippi to say, if I'm unable to make my own health care decisions, this is the person, this is the child or this is the sibling or whoever, my spouse, this is the person I expect would do the best job, and I want them making the decisions. Do you need a lawyer for that? Do I? Do you need a lawyer for that? Oh, no, you don't. We even post the health care directive on our website at elderlawms.com, and it's there to download for anyone who wants to print it. And I know that hospitals and nursing homes, when they take a patient on admission, uh, often say, do you have a power of attorney for health care or a health care directive? If you don't, they will often, and I know university does, will offer to get you a form so you can do a health care directive. But you can get one off of your website or I'm sure other websites and fill it out yourself yes. and make sure that other person uh, is willing to take that responsibility, right? You don't do this in secret. You should make sure they're willing to do that responsibility. That's right, because you don't want to surprise them later with that. Now, that it doesn't have anything to do with uh, managing your financial affairs. And what I'd like to do is do another call out with you in the next several weeks to talk a little bit about the next step after the limited power of attorney. Is that what you call it, limited power of attorney for health affairs? Yes, the health care power of attorney is part of the health care directive um, and it's all that's part of the document that our state law now prescribes calls it a health care directive. But a health care directive doesn't have to be a specific form or format. It can be any clear instruction about what I want about my health care. Yeah, but it would be nice if it was on a form and signed by both parties where there wouldn't be any confusion about it. 
That's when it right, came because up. that's what the doctors and clinics and hospitals and nursing homes recognize is the one they see most often. So okay. they're more likely to feel comfortable with those. We are so glad you're there to help us, and we're going to call you back in the next several weeks and talk a little bit about what would be the next step after this uh, power of attorney for health affairs, uh, and that would be extending the ability of a relative or a friend to manage your financial affairs, which the power of attorney for uh, health, limited power of attorney for health does not do. Is that correct? That's correct. And there are various options on managing financial resources. So I look forward to that. Do you have anything on your website that discusses that? We do at elderlawms.com. There are a number of short video tutorials on these of these and other issues. So if someone wants to go look at that and we can provide handouts if someone calls my office at 601-987-3000, I will have Ginger they can request information about powers of attorney, health care, decision making, trusts and all that and we would be glad to send them handouts on various things we have. Great. It's so good to talk to you and appreciate your support. All right. That was Richard Courtney, who is an elder law attorney here in Jackson. You have elder law attorneys throughout the state, but he is offering you some free information if you want to call his firm, as he mentioned, or go online to elder law uh, and uh, look at his website. So I thought you would like that. That's especially uh, uh, pertinent in the whole context of the focus on dementia, Alzheimer's that UMC is having right now through its Mind Center, which is an incredible resource. But so far as we're concerned, you can talk about whatever you want to. We have open lines. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four one eight seven seven mpb ring This is a doctor call-in show for you to ask questions about whatever is on your mind medically. So let's go to Anita in Hattiesburg. Hey, Anita. Hi, sir. What's happening? Oh, not much. Just on the road today for work, but I thought I'd call in. All right. Well, what's your what's your question? So my question is, my husband and I are in our early thirties, and um, I am I would consider obese um, and pretty good shape though. And I have been considering uh, we're considering starting a family, and I've been kind of toying with the idea of maybe having some kind of surgical intervention for like a more of a massive weight loss before I get pregnant. Um, but I just kind of wanted to toy with the idea of what you, what your thoughts are with that. I mean, obviously like nutritionally there are limitations there, but you know, I just want to make sure that that's something that is even a valid option for someone who's wanting to, you know, start a family. Boy, I am glad that you called. So, uh, cause I, I've been wanting to talk about this and hadn't had any calls on it. Uh, so, uh, can you give us an estimate of how many pounds you think you're overweight? Um, I think I probably a good, like uh, probably 120, I would say. Uh, I mean, like that was probably like, I'm about 300 and I was about 180 in high school. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, I'm almost 5'10", like I'm fairly sizable bones. Like, I mean... Right. I'm not going to be 125 pounds. That's not going to happen. Right. Fine. But, I got you. Um, I got so you. That's kind of where I'm at. And mm-hmm. is there, do you have, uh, have you been checked for diabetes and high blood no, pressure? Mm-hmm. No high blood pressure, no diabetes. Good. Um, I re- regularly exercise. Um, everything is pretty much on the up and up. I mean, my OB is fine with 
everything, but we also are concerned with gestational diabetes, of course, at this stage. Right. Um, right. And, that's kind of where I'm at. and when, when are you planning, uh, are you planning, you're proceeding, uh, with this pregnancy or you're not ready to get it yet or have it yet or what, where, what um, is your timeline? Not even actively started trying. Uh-huh. Um, but I am, you know, monitoring ovulation. Uh, currently I am on, um, I have an IUD, but I'm monitoring, uh, ovulation doing daily temperatures just to kind of get a feel for, you know, what exactly my body's going through right now. Right. Well, why don't you hang on the line? If we have time, we'll go back to you after I get started on the question. Um, And um, if you have to get out of your car, that's fine. Just be be safe. Uh, This is a a problem uh, that is increasingly uh, one I'm asked about. And the problem is, is that, uh, the science has not caught caught up with uh, the uh, population's understanding of what obesity is all about. To make it very simple, uh, every time you gain weight, your body thermostat in your brain resets to that weight. That is why it is so difficult to lose weight and maintain the lower weight. So we call that recidivism. And in people who are way overweight, like you are, it is even more difficult. Uh, That's why you see people on these yo-yo diets that will uh, have have a huge weight loss. But we know that the hunger hormones that are released make you hungry, uh, go to astronomical levels when you lose weight, and they stay there for up to two years. So that is why we have so much recidivism is because our brains in our hypothalamus recalibrate what our normal weight should be when we gain weight. So the most important thing to do to prevent weight gain, and I struggle with this myself, is to make sure you don't gain a lot of it in the first place because it is so, so difficult to get off. The good news is even a 10% uh, decrease in weight, even if you are way overweight, has biologic effects that are very, very positive. So losing 10 pounds is great. Um, but to to be really honest with you and Honesty is the best policy for an old Methodist like me. Uh, you, uh, your chances of getting your weight down to a healthy weight, especially if you get pregnant and gain additional weight, are going to be very low. So I think the timing is right. Um, weight management programs uh, are generally uh, not that useful uh, unless they are supervised as part of a, an ongoing effort. Because these meal plans and buying foods and stuff like that are usually only short ter- effective in short terms. Those individuals who are uh, uh, successful are people who have a complete change uh, in their living. That is, they quit eating uh, food that tastes good, f- food that's rich in salt, sugar, and fat, which is what we're all addicted to, and that drives us this behavior. So salt, sugar, and fat, we, they cut their calories down such that they are losing no more than one pound a week 
uh, because rapid weight loss makes you want to put your uh, chain mail around your refrigerator. You get so hungry. So any weight loss that you do is done over several years at one pound per week, and you sustain the decreased calories that you have dropped down to and increase those. You increase your calories. Uh, you, you increase the amount. The de- You decrease your number of calories continually during that period until you get down to uh, your target weight. So all of our surgical weight management programs, which are really the only ones that have been shown to be effective uh, and to treat diabetes if it's present, to normalize blood sugar uh, if it's pre-diabetes, those, none of the pill programs are very good. They are, uh, those pills have side effects. They're usually relatively ineffective. The most weight loss you get is less than 10% with those, all of the pills, any of them, pick one. And uh, there are several on the market right now that we've talked about before. So what I would do is uh, I would get uh, in in touch with a licensed uh, a bariatric surgical center, and there are several of those in the state. There's a great one on the Gulf Coast. Uh, there's one here in Jackson. I think there's one in Tupelo, and there there are others that I don't know about. But these are these are uh, bariatric surgery programs that have uh, achieved certification by the American College of Surgery. And what they do is they first put you through a dietary program uh, to see if you're able to lose weight. There's a small number of people who are able to lose weight and sustain it. And if so, you stop there. And then if you can't get it off, you're given a chance uh, uh, to have bariatric surgery after they struggle with your insurance company uh, for months to get it approved. And there are two two that are done. The lap band, which uh, is basically done, you know, uh, endoscopically without opening you up. And now this uh, new stomach sleeve procedure, uh, which can also be done laparoscopically without having to open you up. By far and away, the sleeve procedure is the best and is the most effective way to go. So I'll tell you, if you were my daughter uh, with what's going on with you, with being 150 pounds overweight, uh, I would definitely consult one of these uh, uh, medical center or group uh, weight loss centers. And if you need some referrals, just send me a, uh, uh, an email at uh, southernremedympbonline.org, and I can tell you where those are in your area. They're certified by the the uh, American Bariatric Society and the American College of Surgeons, and uh, and uh, that would be where I'd start. I'd start with a consultation right there. Anita, is that helpful? Sure, I think so. And and then after you know after that happens, I guess my also concern is appropriate nutrition for myself as well as fetus or breastfeeding. And is that something that obviously they can discuss with me? Yes. After you get that weight off, you are a heck of a lot uh, healthier and a heck of a lot uh, more likely to have a successful pregnancy uh, without developing diabetes uh, than you would be otherwise. And after you have bariatric surgery, you have to take multiple vitamins and stuff like that. And it's all part part of the package. But you have a almost 
100% chance with that kind of weight problem uh, of developing severe knee disease, uh, probably hip disease, low back pain, uh, certainly diabetes, and high blood pressure. So right. your your pro- trajectory is in the wrong direction, uh, and you're going to have to correct it. And, you know, I wish I could say that I had trained with Oral Roberts and I could lay hands on you and make you lose that weight. It doesn't work that way. It's all uh, good. I, that's fine with me. Okay. If you, you want so more much, information, sir. send me an email. Good to talk to you. We've got open lines at Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org is our email address. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And we'll take your call right now if you'll give us a call. Support for MPB comes from the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama at Children's of Alabama, a cardiovascular care center for children in Birmingham, Alabama. More at childrensal.org heart. Voters with strong religious beliefs usually lean Republican, but this year faith may not be a clear guide. I'll tell you this, I will not vote for anybody. I will cast a vote, but I will not vote for anybody. I know neither side will reflect my faith. I know that. I'm Ari Shapiro. How religious voters in North Carolina view this year's election later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is NPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here by myself in this room with my producer, uh, who's in another room, uh, sending me strange messages and looking at me funny, the famous Jay White. And uh, we're all lonely here. We want your call. We're at one 672 7464 We'll treat you right. Or give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring And let's go to Fairhope, and then we'll go to Meridian. Hey, Jerry, what's happening in my favorite place in the world? Uh, it's beautiful, about uh, 94 degrees and uh, pleasant. A great place. It just keeps getting better. Sure does, Dr. Rick. What's on your mind? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. David Perlmutter. Yes. He, he's written a couple of books, and uh, uh, the one thing that sort of excites me about what he's had to say is the connection between uh, probiotics and brain health. Yeah. And I just wondered what your take on that was. Uh, 
Okay. Well, uh, there, as you know, um, there is a tremendous amount of research going on right now about gut flora, the bacteria and other goodies that grow in our gut. They're sitting there all day, 24-7, doing their thing. And now we realize they do a whole lot more than just digest food. They have to do with your immune response. They reduce certain, they release certain chemicals that affect behavior and bowel function and all kinds of other things. So there is something there. We just don't know what it is yet. The The thing that uh, we do know is through the work on Clostridium difficile, which causes god-awful uh, diarrhea, uh, that is just really a problem. We're now doing fecal transplants. We can take processed stool from other people and give it to people, these people with this terrible germ, uh, Clostridium difficile, stop their diarrhea and reset their whole gut. So we're getting to the point now where we're going to be able to control what grows in your gut. So everybody is trying to figure out what that would do, mostly in animal models. I'm aware of all these uh, probiotic things. Most of these people who say that probiotics work great have them for sale. I never get my advice from somebody who's trying to sell me anything. Uh, I don't think they will hurt you. There's no evidence that they will. But I don't. There is no scientific evidence to show that probiotics do anything for brain health. What does do uh, something for brain health is the things Fairhopians do. They go to the public library over there and read a lot. Uh, they are uh, volunteering a lot in the community. They're active. They're exercising, and most importantly, probably is they're keeping their blood pressure under control and their uh, lipids, their LDL, their bad cholesterol, uh, uh, in in as good a shape as you can. So I wish I could tell you they work, but I can't. Uh, I don't think they will uh, hurt you. And if you're going to take them, get cheap ones from some big box place or your drugstore, don't let doc- your doctor rip you off online over those. So I hope that helps, Jerry. Have a great day in Fairhope, a good place. Another good place is Meridian. And we're going to talk to Lori. You're listening to Dr. Rick. We're at 1877 MPB Ring and we have lines open. Hey Lori, what's happening in Meridian? Oh, nothing much. It's just a beautiful day, a little warm. Good. It's about time for it to be warm and not steaming hot, isn't it? Yes. Are you going to get your flu shot? Yes. God bless you. What's your question? <laughs> um, I would like to know if there are long-term side effects for using over-the-counter antacid relief. Um, I don't know if you can name a brand. but um, Yeah, I name any one. brand you want. Okay, Pepsi Complete specifically is the one I use uh-huh. on a pretty regular basis. And I know diet has a lot to do with it, and but I... Honestly, I cannot see myself going through life without lasagna or spaghetti or barbecue, and it seems these particular items are what trigger the worst cases. So I would just like so to So are you taking that every day or just when you eat foods? Um, pretty much at least once a day. Uh-huh. Now, Pepsi Complete, you know, is a combo, right? Yes. 
It's got famotidine, which is a proton pump inhibitor, so-called PPI, which turns off acid production in your gut. Calcium carbonate and magnesium hydroxide. Those are the three components. It sounds like something somebody make a bomb with, doesn't it? I mean, it's pretty, a lot of stuff in there. So uh, let me give you my thoughts for what they're worth. And uh, if you want to hang on, we'll come back to you before we go to the next caller. We've got a few people on, and I need to really go directly to your question. Uh, those kinds of antacids taken occasionally, there are no problems with those whatsoever. What we're concerned about is the long-term use of these proton pump inhibitors turning off acid production, like famotidine, which is the one with pe- Pepsid. Um, and I think famotidine may actually be one. Of, there are two kinds of um, two kinds of uh, stomach protectors. There are the acid antihistamine. Means and famotidine is actually not a PPI. It is a histamine antagonist. What it does is is it uh, neutralizes the histamine in your gut. Whereas um, some of the others, you know, like uh, ranitidine, some of the others will uh, uh, will just basically stop uh, the production. The PPIs. So this is an antihistamine, and uh, we now have some over-the-counter PPIs as well. Uh, so, so you have to know what you're taking. This one is an antihistamine, which is safer on the long-term use than is the PPI, the protein, protein pump inhibitor. And if you're not sure what you're getting, ask your pharmacist, take a look at what you're getting over the counter and, and they can help you. Your doctor also will do that or your nurse practitioner, whoever. So, uh, taken, uh, this is very safe if taken, um, uh, episodically when you're going to go out and have something very spicy and you know you're going to have trouble. Um, and so there's no problem with it. When you take uh, any of these agents for the long term, especially the proton pump inhibitors, there's some concern about absorption of B12 vitamin and also calcium and other things uh, and bone disease. So we're trying to get people off of the proton pump inhibitors and in fact i'm putting people uh that insist on being on something to inhibit stomach action uh uh uh, acid and are having reflux on something with a um histamine h2 antagonist like pepsid so uh that is safer than the other one so i think this is safe for occasional use if you're having to use it regularly you need to have this checked out because reflux is not just reflux. It's associated with a condition called Barrett's esophagus, which is a pre-malignant condition. And if you're having a lot of it, you need to make sure the diagnosis is correct as reflux and you don't have ulcers uh, and the treatment is appropriate. Is that helpful? That is very helpful. I thank you. Thank you for your call. Let's go to uh, another Meridionian, Bernie. Hey, Bernie, what's happening? Bernie, you there? Yes, yeah, right here, sir. Yeah. Do, do you call it Meridionian or Meridianian or what do you call it? Well, uh, Meridian. That'll work. <laughs> yeah. what, what's your question? Uh, I have lymphedema. Yeah. Not just edema, lymphedema. I know it's not curable, but uh, can you uh, uh, inform me on uh, treatments? What are you doing so far to deal with it? Well, not much. Uh, I've. I've got Lasix, but uh, uh-huh. so that's not a cure, and it does it, it doesn't make it go down. It's uh, 
it's in my ankles, both my ankles. I had heart surgery several years ago, and somehow that was the trigger, the onset uh, of of it happening. And it, at first, I, everybody, my doctor saw just plain old edema, and they gave me the LASIK. And then it just got uh, the, the fluid buildup is just uh, enormous in my ankles now. And you've had the ultrasound vascular studies, uh, venous and uh, arterial yeah. Doppler ultrasounds, and those are okay. Yes, and the blood flow is okay up and down arteries and veins. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you some uh, give you some ideas. Okay. Okay. Uh, and the first place, uh, the first idea is footsmart.com. Footsmart.com. Uh, they they have online, and a few of the drugstores will have these pressure hose, uh, especially for men. Men hate pressure hose, uh, and they have different pressure hose pressures. There are 10 millimeters of pressure, 20 millimeters of pressure, and 30 millimeters of pressure. You're probably going to need, and the reason I recommended this place is they are dirt cheap on uh, ankle up to your knee, right below your knee, pressure hose. That is the first place to start. And if you can wear them all day, it is, and all night, all the time, it works better than if you just uh, wear them uh, during the day. Of course, the problem is much less severe in the morning because you've been off your feet. The other thing, so pressure hose, and I would start with the 10, go to 20, and go to 30. I think they're about 10 or $15 a pair on that website, and they'll cost you a jillion dollars if you go to a surgical supply store, but if your insurance will cover it and you want to do that, you can get a referral to a, to a surgical supply store. So pressure hose in your case, uh, during cold weather, you may actually want to use the pressure hose that go all the way up to your stomach. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is keep your feet up as much as possible. Don't let them hang down. Uh, you should be, uh, when you're watching TV, you should be in a recliner that can put your feet up. That helps a lot to return that material back to your bloodstream and urinate off any excess volume. Uh, after that, there's no real surgery that works very good for lymphedema, and uh, probably it would cause you'd have a complication uh, of that, and I don't recommend it. But usually those two things and limiting your salt intake no added salt will make a big difference. If you want to know more about that, give me a uh, send me an email. I'll send you a patient information sheet on lymphedema at southernremedy.mpbonline.org. And thank you for that call. We have some lines open. It's all things considered. Whatever you want to talk about on Southern Remedy, we're one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. By the way, uh, there was a several, and we got two lines open. There were several uh, people who called up here wanting to know about this yoga retreat that was mentioned on Southern Remedy earlier this week. We're not really sure which show did that. But if you're one of those people who've been calling, um, there's going to be a yoga retreat uh, at uh, one of the museums here in Jackson coming up. And the website to find out more about that is one word, Think Art Music thinkartmusic.com, and that's where the info is about that particular deal coming up. 
Uh, so let's go to Columbus and Christopher. Hey, Christopher. Yes. Uh, good afternoon. Or I good had to morning. yell real loud since you're all the way up there. You know. Yeah. It's a long uh, way from I, Jackson to Columbus. Mm-hmm. I have a sister who had bariatric surgery. Yeah. And prior to that, she was not a drinker. I never saw her even drink a glass of wine or a glass of beer or anything. Mm-hmm. And then after she had this bariatric surgery, she has become an alcoholic. She started off drinking a little wine. Yeah. And, and come to find out, according to uh, a brother-in-law of mine who's a pediatrician, he said that, quote, he thinks that bariatric surgery uh, caused her to become an alcoholic. What do you know about that? Okay. Did she have the usual bariatric workup where she was seen by a psychiatrist uh, before the bariatric surgery? Yes. Okay. And uh, so she needs to go back to that psychiatrist. Uh, the There are many people who drink alcohol as drug treatment for an underlying um, underlying uh, disorder. It may be a mood disorder like chronic depression mm-hmm. or anxiety. It may be something more serious. Uh, and they treat themselves with alcohol or food or other things, okay? Mm-hmm. So there's a small percentage of people who are obese who eat to treat uh, dysfunctional uh, behavior because they have an underlying uh, mental illness that needs to be treated. Usually these are picked up in the – that's why they do these uh, psychiatric screens uh, before the surgeons will even operate on them or do anything. They're supposed to pick them up. Sometimes they'd miss them or they're not well-defined, and mm-hmm. they attribute whatever kinds of depression or anxiety they see – to the obesity rather than realizing it was the underlying thing that triggered the obesity in the first place. Most people who are not obese don't have any kind of mental disorder. Uh, so don't go say, I you know, said people who overeat or, or are obese or mentally whatever. Uh, they're usually normal folks who just eat too many calories. So uh, that's the situation, and she needs really – to get back, uh, she's eating, she's drinking what we call drinking around her surgery. There are certain people who get bariatric surgery that uh, eat, find ways to eat around their uh, gastric uh, band or even their gastropexy, the one where they they uh, decrease the size of your stomach, this, this so-called sleep procedure. And they will start eating large quantities they will start drinking quantities of stuff ground up that contain salt, sugar, and fat, which is the uh, stimulates the pleasure city center in the brain is and is the reason we eat eat junk food in the first place. You can actually do a functional MRI of the brain and feed somebody uh, some of this junk food that we all eat, and you can see the pleasure center light up just like it does with sex. So it's a these are really potent stimuli to the brain. And so she may be getting that same thing by drinking wine, which, you know, has a, a large sugar content in it. So I don't know. I think the answer is probably not. 
but I, it doesn't make any difference. The, the, the treatment's the same. She needs to get some psychiatric care right away to deal with this and, and, and work on some kind of a program to uh, get her alcoholism under control. Is that close to what you needed, Christopher? Yes, and the implication is, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that she has substituted uh, the alcohol for food. For I, food I, yeah, I, that would be my guess. But, you know, I, mm-hmm. I would not swear on a stack of Bibles because I don't know what her, you know, psychometric testing showed where they test you to find out if you're bipolar mm-hmm. or whatever uh, and all that stuff. But I'm just telling you the law of probabilities suggests it would be that and not uh, the the surgical procedure causing her to become an alcoholic. She's an alcoholic rehab now. Well, well let, let me ask you this, uh, another question. Is there a high incidence of people who become alcoholics after having bariatric surgery? I'm not aware of that in any of the – and I'm pretty much up on that literature because – just about everybody I see on the rheumatology side of my practice that has osteoarthritis is overweight, just about everybody. Uh, and so I, I refer a lot of people for bariatric surgery. And mm-hmm. and no, I'm not aware of that at all. I've got a computer here. I'll look it up and see if I can mm-hmm. get it to you uh, before because the end of the program. Because I was told by a doctor that, that, that there is a very high incidence. Ah, no, that's not true. For sure. Really? There's not a very high instance. No. Uh-uh. I don't know whether there's an increased instance, but I'll look it up. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Good to talk to you. I love Columbus. Okay. We got another caller. Uh, hey, John, is is are, do you live in JC? John, are you there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you in JC? Uh, JS. What is that? Where is that? Middle of nowhere. <laughs> What part of Miss the whole Mississippi is nowhere? What part of nowhere are you in? <laughs> We're about midway between Macomb, Mississippi, and Brookhaven, or Tyler Town and Brookhaven. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I know that general area. It's some nice folks okay. down there. What what do they do in JC? Is it just a J S J S? Is it is it spelled J S J A Y E S S? That's it. So what do y'all do there? Is there a plant there or something, or is it a farming no, community or what? A little community. They there's some farms, but that's about it. Well, I'm glad you're there making things right. What can <laughs> I? What question? What question can I answer for you? Um, I'm wondering why is it that the medical in the medical community doesn't lean even remotely try to go towards more natural remedies than man-made chemical remedy that's a good question i get a i get a lot of that and of course you know john i have a bias i'm a medical doctor so you have to understand that my answer to that question is going to be biased by the fact that uh that doctors spend two years of their training uh in basic science science and part of our training is that if you're going to treat anybody with anything, there has to be a controlled trial showing that it works, okay? And in yeah. a controlled trial, you have to have a group of people who take control and yeah, take it and a people who, do, who don't take it but think they're taking it. You're right, the controls. 
and they have to and, and they have to show benefit. So uh, there are numerous attempts to prove that natural remedies, uh, various things, are beneficial, and some of them are. Uh, I mean, the, the the most famous of which is red rice yeast for lowering cholesterol. It works, but it works because it has pravastatin in it, which is one of the chemicals that we use in uh, in treating hypercholesterolism. So it, it works because it actually has a weak statin in it. So, and when we analyze most of these natural remedies, the ones that actually do show some benefit, and one of those is uh, chondroitin sulfate, uh, you know, shark cartilage, uh, it has things in there that we already have in larger quantities at more expensive prices. Uh, so, so that's it. Does that make sense? I was leaning more towards like St. John's wort for headaches, uh-huh. um, you know, that sort of natural. I mean, St. John's wort is already on the market and has had research done on it. Okay, I'm not trying to pick with you, but just let me tell you the story on St. John's wort, which is actually okay. a very useful thing. Uh, it is. It has been shown in controlled trials to be helpful with depression, okay? It actually works. Uh, with depression, and it's been used for that purpose for many, many years. Uh, uh, the problem with the drug, with with that chemical, with that remedy, is that it has drug interactions with a lot of other drugs. It blocks the absorption of a lot of things that we use in a lot of different people. So uh, every time somebody comes in on St. John's Wort, I have to go open my computer up and run their drug list to make sure that that doesn't have any problems. But if you have a mood disorder, you're down, especially during the winter when, you know, it's uh, uh, so dark all the time, St. John's Wort is perfectly safe and okay to use. The problem is you don't ever know how much of it you're getting in any of these preparations because the the natural uh, foods people were able to get uh, approval for these over-the-counter herbals and stuff out from under uh, the FDA that requires efficacy. So that industry basically got the government to approve the the uh, these these non-drug drugs. Uh, and, and there's nobody looking at them to see whether they're any good or not. What happens is the only people that looks at them are the plaintiff's attorneys who sue people if they're toxic. So there you go. I'll talk more about bariatric surgery and alcoholism next week. I, I don't have time to look that up. Hey, it's been so good to be with you. I always enjoy our visits. You've been listening to Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. And... Uh, It's funded by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and your generous support. This this program is replayed at Sunday at 6 a.m. If you're listening to us, we'll pray for you. Hope you have a good Sunday. Join us again next Wednesday at 11 for the original Southern Remedy. It's NPR's Here and Now, next on Think Radio.
This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield.